Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to talk about the progress of Harvard X, the online learning platform along with MIT as part of edX. And we're here with Justin Reich, Harvard X Research Fellow, to discuss some of what they're going to be sharing tonight during a big exploration of the working papers on open online courses a year later. Justin Reich, welcome to the EdCast. Thanks so much for having me. So, Justin, tell us a little bit about the origins of your connections with edX and a little bit of the, the history of HarvardX and your, and your involvement in it. Great. So, edX is an organization that's a partnership between Harvard, between Harvard and MIT originally and now an additional 30-plus universities around the world. Uh, edX has developed an open-source learning management system, uh, and universities and, and other organizations around the world are putting courses uh, on the edX platform, and HarvardX and MITx are two of the organizations that have done so. Uh, in the 2012-2013 academic year, HarvardX had six courses that were on the edX platform that ranged from courses about copyright law to courses about biostatistics. Uh, and then uh, MIT, MITx had an additional 11 courses that they put up uh, on the 2012-2013 academic year, again, spanning the whole range of MIT's expertise um, from courses about global poverty to mechanics to circuits and electronics. So these courses have been going on for, uh, you said, about a year now? So last year was the first major year. It was certainly the first year of Harvard's, uh, the first academic year of Harvard's involvement. MIT's involvement was a little bit before that. Um, but yeah, we have, we're at a point now where we've had an entire academic year's worth of courses that have finished, that we've taken the time to collect the data. We've worked very closely with partners at MIT's Office of Digital Learning, very closely with people uh, over at edX uh, working on their analytics team to be able to get the massive amounts of data, you know, gigabytes and gigabytes of data capturing the whole clickstream activity of the participants in these courses. And we've been trying to weave those pieces together, um, not only with all that quantitative data, but then we did a series of interviews with the faculty who taught these courses, the course teams, the instructional designers who taught these courses, to really try to understand what were people trying to do um, in Harvard X with the courses that they released, what were the experiences that they've had, what were the experiences that students had, um, and ultimately what kinds of behaviors do we see people taking part in on the online platform. So like a good academic and a good HGSC grad, you don't just collect the data, but you make meaning of the data, and, and that's the excitement about tonight. You're going to be presenting a series of working papers based on your analyses of all of these courses that happened. And don't bury the leak, Justin. What, what, is the, what are some of the general findings of the courses? So I'd say one of the biggest messages that we want to get across is the idea that, to, that before leaping to making generalizations across different kinds of open online courses, we think it's really worth taking the time to drill deeply into each individual course and trying to understand the courses in the context of what the professors intended. Um, some of the courses were very, very careful about making sure that their online assignments were absolutely as rigorous, absolutely as difficult as the courses that were offered at, at Harvard or MIT. In some domains, people People felt like the technology just wasn't there in their particular discipline, and so they found ways to make their courses rigorous in other ways by really, you know, encouraging discussion on forums or having people participate um, in different kinds of venues. If you don't understand the intention of instructors when they're creating the course, I think it's very easy to misunderstand some of the quantitative data that comes out of courses. I would say another big piece of the story that we want to try to communicate um, is that many people are summarizing the success and outcomes of MOOCs 
by one uh, single and oversimplified statistic, which is completion rates. Many of the faculty we talked to uh, were only, some of them were only marginally interested in how many people were certified in their subject. They were really interested in what kinds of learning experiences they could offer to people, whether those folks wanted to come in for one unit, for one session, for a number of weeks, for the whole course, to do all the assessments, to not do all the assessments. Many faculty were very deliberate about saying there's lots of honorable, legitimate ways of participating in this course. So that puts the onus on us as researchers to say, okay, if these are learning goals that you've set out as faculty, um, how can we as researchers provide you with some analytics, provide you with some data to give you some insight on how you're doing on those dimensions outside certification rate? So we've been looking a lot at different patterns of people's persistence and participation. We've been trying to figure out different kinds of activity metrics that will capture um, the, the behaviors that potentially lead to learning that are outside just completing assessments. Um, and one of the messages that we'll have is that this work is really challenging in any kind of university setting. We have a hard time figuring out what are people learning in our courses. Um, but we have some really interesting ideas to share um, and we have some new perspectives. And I think if, you know, if, if we're successful, the conversation about you know, large scale open online learning will be more nuanced and more complicated uh, after we're through with it. It's certainly hard to assess learning in any capacity, let alone uh, online. Certainly. Um, does your research, will it, I'm sure a lot of people will come to this event tonight thinking, okay, you know, does online work better for certain types of courses? So, you know, there's online courses uh, focused on computer science and there's online courses focused on philosophy and ethics. Is, is there going to be a takeaway that online learning uh, in general works best for these types of classes, but not these types of classes? So I think there's certainly really important differences in subjects where you can assess people by um, mechanisms that can be automated, by mechanisms where a computer can do a reasonably good job of telling the, telling apart uh, a high-quality performance from a less high-quality performance. And then there are some domains where you can't do that very well. Actually, statistics, especially as it's taught around the Graduate School of Education and other professional schools, is a really good example of that. We have some pretty powerful tools to sort of computationally assess whether or not people are answering, are sort of performing statistical tests correctly. We have much weaker tools to say assess a statistics student ability to interpret a statistics paper and see whether or not there were good decisions made in research design or interpretation or methodology. So even within that one you know, highly quantitative domain, there are some things that we can computationally assess really well and some things that we're not as strong as computationally assessing. Um, that, of course, doesn't mean that online spaces are not good spaces for learning all of those different kinds of things. Um, even if we can't certify people's competence, that doesn't doesn't mean that we can't provide people really rich learning experiences. That's a big piece of what we want to try to highlight and share here is that there's opportunities for learning that are here. Um, you know, the technology to create opportunities for learning is probably further ahead than the technology to certify people's learning. And that's okay. What we really ought to be thinking about in all these different contexts is where can, you know, large scale, low touch technology mediated learning help improve education? Where can we use these kinds of tools to enrich people's learning experiences? And let's make sure that we devote the resources we need to areas where high touch matters more. So research one year later on MOOCs, you, you have a good sense of, put on your futurist hat, Justin, five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, where do you see this going? Where do you see uh, both HarvardX, edX, and MOOCs, and just the whole state of online open coursework? Um, what is your, your sort of prediction on how it's going to integrate? Well, I 
So predictions are hard to make. I can tell you what I'm hopeful um, will happen Fair in enough. the years ahead. So one thing that I'm really excited about is the possibility of seeing really close collaboration between course designers and researchers. I think especially around Harvard X, now that we as sort of somewhat separate but but um, communicating groups have a year of expertise under our belts, I think it's going to be increasingly easier for us to pair up and say, okay, course designers, you have this particular set of learning objectives. You have some expertise on how to teach these subjects. Maybe we as researchers can come in and say, okay, there's lots that we don't know about the best ways to teach physics or statistics or moral reasoning. Um, here are some ways that we can embed some design research, some design experiments within your courses to try to get a better understanding to meet one of the most important goals of edX, which is to learn more about learning. Um, so certainly if we're successful five or 10 years from now, I think we'll be able to look within a number of disciplines and say, because of the experiments that we did online with edX, we've improved not just the teaching of statistics poetry, public health um, in online spaces, but also on campuses here in Harvard and around the world as well. Um, I'm hopeful that we continue to think very carefully about how we can make these technologies available to as wide an audience of learners as possible. Um, one of the things that we find in our research that other folks have found um, is that disproportionately, you know, very high proportions of people registered in courses are folks with bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and doctorates. Um, it'll be exciting to um, do research with the folks who don't have those levels of educational attainment but how have been successful in courses and start finding out, you know, what are the conditions that make success possible for them and how can we design courses in ways um, that continue to sort of fulfill the hope and promise of MOOCs that they that they serve as wide an audience of possible and particularly that we think about what kinds of courses and learning experiences would disproportionately serve best the students who we care about most. Uh, last question this is more uh, less on the research side of things more on the you know personal learning and teaching side uh, you've researched so much on Harvard X edX uh, have you been a participant in it have you taught in a MOOC have you been a participant been a student in a MOOC, and if not, um, is that something that you're interested in? So I haven't been a, uh, a teacher of a MOOC. I've definitely, I've been a sort of MOOC shopper myself, you know, part of my job. I certainly don't have time to finish any of the particular courses, but I, I spend a lot of time looking closely at lots of different courses. And of course, it's really fun to be able to look across these courses and all these different disciplines and see how people think about delivering lectures differently, how people think about creating collaborative discussion communities differently, to think about how people design assessments differently. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I get to kind of go on a tour of the university and across universities and to see what people are learning. So that's been really fun. A sampling of the MOOC buffet. That's right. A sampling of the MOOC buffet. So Justin, people are, they can come tonight to the uh, big sharing of all the working papers at, at the ed school. Um, but where can people learn more about you and your research and the work of Harvard X? Good. So we have a website, which is harvardx.harvard.edu, uh, and there's a research tab on that. Uh, the research tab both has the details of uh, the research presentation that we're doing tonight uh, at 6 p.m. in Larson Geo 8, um, and then it will also um, have on it all of the working papers and links to a bunch of the work that we've done there. So people who are interested in following uh, the work of HarvardX and, and our research group together can continue to follow us there. Um, I also write a blog for Education Week called EdTech Researcher, um, and Google Googling EdTech Researcher usually um, is sufficient for being able to find that, but maybe we can put a link on the page where this is. Um, and that's where I keep more of my sort of policy, pedagogical, kind of personal thoughts on where I think the world of open online learning is going, and certainly um, welcome folks to read and, and interact with me there. 
So you're going to get a sampling of the Justin Reich buffet today, and there's more information uh, on the internet. Of course, Justin Reich, Harvard X Research Fellow, HCSC uh, alum, and uh, good predictor and hopeful person of, of EdTech research. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly. <laughs>